morning again. That was a sweet time of worship, was it not? I'm very grateful for that. Um, let's start out. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and just uh, with wise eyes open, with eyes wide open, asking Lord that you would just uh, open up your word to us and allow us to hear and experience and apply the greatness of what this precious, precious word says. Lord, speak through me and any hindrance in my life. Just remove that. And Lord, just uh, move in all of our hearts so that we might grow deeper in an understanding and application of what it says. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, we started a teaching series last week called Thrive, not just surviving in this new normal, thriving. And we're studying the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're doing this kind of in rapid succession. Last week, we dealt with the entirety of chapter 1. We're going to do it all of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3 this morning. We're going to do it fast. So uh, we're going to mine for gold, but at the same time, we're going to move forward and, and, and grab hold of this truth as quickly as possible. Yesterday morning, I had to be in Conyers, Georgia at 8.30 to preach to a group of pastors. It's the first time I've done this in about 18 months. And I want to say this very specifically. Thank you for being the wonderful church because I'd rather be here with y'all. You ever preach to a group of pastors? I would say no, right? Oh, wow, man, I'm so, I love y'all so much. How about that? <laughs> and so uh, uh, I'm so excited about diving in this morning. Now, we began last week by studying this text and really understanding what it looks like to thrive. In the church of Thessalonica, as Paul, the apostle, writes to this church to encourage them. Now, if you remember back last week in Acts chapter 17, we overviewed this. We're going to deal with it a little bit more. So if you have your Bible and you want to put your uh, little thing that God created, and I don't know if you, if you have your copy of God's Word, God created this wonderful little string there for you. Uh, put it in 1 Thessalonians and then flip over to Acts chapter 16 to 17. We'll be there as well. That way you don't have to flip back and forth. But um, we learned that as Paul planted this church in Thessalonica, it's a church that really began to thrive in their faith. And, and not only were they thriving in their faith in the midst of some hard and difficult circumstances, Paul himself was thriving. Yet, everything we're going to look at this morning, it makes no sense why they would be. Because they were dealing with extreme suffering. But yet, in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of the trauma that they experienced... They began to thrive in their faith, and there was a continuation of the, of the um, exaltation and yet the exposition of the gospel and everywhere they went. And so we're going to look at how they overcame some of these things, but specifically in the life of Paul, how he, he overcame them. We all love great Examples Agreed? And one of the things I love about this time in, in this season and culture right now is the Olympics. Um, every year, whether it's the winter or it's the summer Olympics, I love sitting in front of my television and two things. I'm inspired and convicted. I'm inspired because of these athletes and what they're able to do. There was like a 14-year-old girl from China. Did y'all see this? Who had like perfect score after perfect score after perfect score diving off a diving board. When I was 14, I couldn't even get a perfect score in English. And... Uh, and, and this Chinese lady is just making it happen. There's a 13-year-old girl who's a skateboarder. Have y'all seen this stuff? I, I, it blows my mind. So I'm inspired watching these athletes. I'm also convicted because I'm sitting there eating a, a bag of potato chips on the couch. 
uh, as I watch these just finely tuned athletes walk across the screen. Y'all feel that way as well? I think gym memberships have gone up, at least they have in my home as I've done this. But I've, I've noticed a couple of things. I've been inspired. In my own hometown of Monroe, Georgia, we had an athlete win the silver medal. I was pretty fired up. Her dad was actually my football coach, and so just celebrating that as a Monroevian. Uh, I'm very fired up about that, and I, I, I was inspired by her journey and how she's come through a lot of stuff and got that silver medal. I was inspired uh, by the young lady who ran the four by uh, the 400 meter hurdles. Did y'all see this? This is the first woman in the history of the world to do 400 meter hurdles under 53 seconds. Guys, I, I can't get in a car and drive around a track in, in under 53 seconds. And this girl's running and jumping hurdles at the same time. But here's my favorite. I don't know if you saw this athlete. They were running the 1500 meter. And as she was running the 1500 meter, she was tripped up, fell flat on her face. Did y'all see this? Got up y'all and then won the race. I love that. Don't you? We all love those types of examples because it gives us hope in humanity and hopefully ourselves as well. That if they can do it, whatever context we're in in life, we can do it. Now, Paul is going to be our example this morning of how Christ changed his life and took him from a position of suffering to where he could really just say, I give up, to a position of thriving. I have uh, two nieces on my wife's side. And when they were little, one is one of those athletes who's like, I'm not going to give up no matter what the adversity. And she was looking at her younger sister, and I think they were like six and, and nine at this point. And, and the younger sister was like, I want to give up. I was tired. It's hard. And she goes, you don't ever give up. You always keep moving. You always fight. And the little girl turned to her and goes, hard is hard and hard makes you quit. <laughs> Are y'all with me on that? Hard is hard. I think that's the greatest truth I think I've ever heard. Let's just be honest with you. Hard is hard and hard makes you quit. Would y'all agree? You just want to quit. You want to give up. And I'm in the, first of all, if I'm running 1,500 meters, call an ambulance because I'm either insane or I'm about to have a heart attack or there's a bear chasing me, okay? And if I fall, I'm like, man, it was a good run. <laughs> As we look at the Apostle Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to see what he says here. He writes to this church of Thessalonica, and he says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. Now, I want you, you really got to remember this. Prior to Paul coming to Thessalonica, he was in a city called Philippi. Now, this is where you turn to Acts chapter 16. So flip over there to it. We'll throw it up on the screen, but it's important for us to get familiar with God's word. So I want to encourage you to flip over there to it, making sure I'm telling you the right thing. All right. In chapter 16, he goes into Philippi. He begins to preach the gospel. People come to know Christ and he preaches a gospel specifically to this young slave girl who is being used as a means to make money by these evil men. The slave girl comes to know Christ and the men have just lost their income. You follow me on this so far, right? They get angry and they begin to persecute him. Specifically, as you look at Acts chapter 16, verse 19, it said, when the, when the owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating custom unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in the attack against them, Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, and after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now go back to what it says here. Go back to verse 22. They were stripped, and they were beaten with rods. Not only were they shamed publicly by being stripped, then they were given rods like they were rods like they beat Jesus with and began to beat them there. And then after that, they took their naked, bloody bodies and threw them into jail. That's a horrible experience, agreed? You want to quit after something like that. Now, you can read the rest of the story for yourself. There's a miracle that happens in which they were rescued from prison. And after their rescue, in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, they go to Thessalonica. Now, remember this last week. In Thessalonica, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which is still there today. You can go to Greece and find it. It was a thriving city in that time. They went to the Jewish synagogues. I'm going to summarize this. As was their custom, they proclaimed the gospel for three consecutive Sundays or Saturdays. And people, some people came to know Christ, but then they went out into the city, and it says some Greeks and some prominent women came to know Jesus. So the church was established in Thessalonica. Now, the Jewish leaders in that synagogue hated that, despised that, and I want you to notice what happens. In verse 5, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. So they got a bunch of thugs together, and they're looking for Paul and Silas. They started a riot to blame it on Paul and Silas, and then it says this in verse 6, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now have come here, and Jason has welcomed them into their home. They are defying Caesar decrees saying that there are another king one called Jesus they heard this and the crowd and the city officials were thrown in the turmoil then they made Jason and the others post bond and they let them go and at that moment Paul had to leave Thessalonica and leave this church that he started so I want you to think through two different aspects that are happening here now go back to first Thessalonians chapter two two different aspects that are happening here Paul and Silas and his companions had just experienced severe trauma at the hands of the Philippians. Agreed? They were drug out into the marketplace. They were stripped naked. They were beaten with rods and thrown into jail. They had escaped. They go to Thessalonica. They proclaim the gospel. And then some Jewish leaders got some thugs together. They started a riot and they're looking for them because they're about to beat them down again. That is what we call symptomatic PTSD, guys. Something exactly horrible has happened to them Yet there was a continuation of the gospel. And not only that, is it difficult for Paul and his companions as they flee from Thessalonica, it's difficult for this first Thessalonian church. Their leader seems to have run away and rumors begin to spread as we look at it contextually in just a few moments. Rumors begin to spread. These guys who started this church don't even have the courage to stay and continue to lead us, even though they were forced to leave by other believers in that area. We'll talk about that in a moment. And so you have two entities here who seem like they're going through a very difficult situation, Paul and his companions in that church of Thessalonica. You follow me on this? And both of them are like, how are we going to maintain and thrive through this? Well, Paul writes this letter. And if you remember last week, thriving, and I normally don't do a step-by-step process, but if we can really break it down into steps this morning, there was legitimate conversion that the Thessalonians experienced in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, remember this, and I really write this down on the tablet of your heart. 
Legitimate conversion is not behavioral change. It's a heart change. It's a, it's a desire change. When you come to know Christ, he's not saying change your behavior. He's saying, I'm going to change your heart. And what comes afterward is the change of behavior. You feel me on this? So important because some of us have got this confused. We've regulated Christianity to a faith religion that says, if you follow these rules, then you must know Jesus. No, no, no. You know Jesus, the rules are going to come. And they're not anything that is a burden, it's a delight because you're glorifying God. Remember last week we talked about the pies. Y'all remember this? If you weren't here last week, I'm going to make you hungry, okay? There's this beautiful favorite dessert that God gives you, but yet we would be able to, we would rather sit in the slum and make mud pies and focus on that. That is the essence of our spiritual growth is that, you know, instead of having this desire for this wonderful God that satisfies all needs and gives all hope and gives redemption and it's a delight to follow, we would just rather continue to eat our mud pie. You with me on that? And here's what's the beauty of the gospel, what's happening here. Legitimate conversion experiences a heart change that later on experiences behavioral change and even when your behavior has struggles because let's be real so you and i'm talking it all does right he still saves you that's what conviction is there's a difference between conviction and guilt conviction calls to change guilt calls to condemnation you follow me now then we move on to chapter two step two and it's the idea of how do we thrive after that legitimate conversion we thrive in the context of compassion and commitment. Compassion and commitment. And we're going to see this played out in this letter. Now, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. I've got 13 minutes to finish. So give me your attention for 13 minutes, all right? Notice what happens here. It says this, starting in verse 3. He talked about the appeal. Let's go back to verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. You got that, right? We dealt with that. As you know, but as the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. Okay, remember, Philippi, they were beaten. Thessalonica, they were pursued and there was an angry mob. You see that happening in that verse there. Now, verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Now, this is important because the church of Thessalonica are like, you've abandoned us. You must have been trying to trick us or have some impure motives. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. We're not trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please, uh, we, we are not trying to please people, but whom? All right, that's important. They're not trying to satisfy anybody. If they were trying to be people pleasers, everybody in that city would have turned to Jesus. They were speaking truth. They were trying to please the Lord. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we, were ne we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from, from you or anyone else, even those as apostles of Christ who could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children. He compares himself to a mother who is selfless moms. You know what this is about, right? You're selfless. You give everything to your child. And honestly, you get nothing but pain in return. Right, moms? It's pretty true, right? Pretty accurate. Now, they bring us joy. There's compassion and love. I've never had a baby. But I'm willing to bet childbirth is pretty rough. 
There's nothing you're getting out of this. And Paul says, there's nothing I got out of this. Then he goes on and says, so we care for you. Because we love you so much, in verse 8, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but, but, our living, but our lives as well. Surely remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden or anyone while we preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, and how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own child. So he's compared himself to a mom, now as a father. And the father is this in verse 12. This is what biblical fatherhood is, encouraging comfort comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Isn't that that cool? So we were moms to you, but we also fathers to you. Selfless. And we also thank God continually because you've received the word which you've heard from us. You accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. What he's saying is this. You've lived this out. You know that what we preach to you is not of us. It's of the Lord because you've maintained it. Now, one more big section to read, and we're going to tear it apart here in some application. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you at a, for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly, I, Paul did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. What was Satan? It was the persecution he was dealing with. And every time he tried to go back to Thessalonica, he was prevented. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown of which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are glory and challenge, glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you. So basically put, he couldn't go back, so he sent Timothy, his protege, to sneak in and find out what's going on in Thessalonica. You follow me on this so far? Now, what I want to do here in just a few moments that we have is what is Paul showing to us when it comes to compassion and commitment because of a gospel encounter and what is the church of Thessalonica doing to demonstrate compassion and commitment because of a gospel encounter because in this we see a thriving church and a thriving man yet they shouldn't be because of all the suffering they both have endured you follow me on this because hard is hard and hard makes you want to what quit they didn't quit what do we see here well the first thing we see here if you go to verse back up to verse three and four I want you to understand this, and this builds up the momentum for the rest of the section. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor as we try to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be what? Entrusted with the gospel. And what Paul has here and what the Thessalonians have is a high commitment to God's word. That's where your commitment begins. That's where your intake begins. They're trying to trick you not trying to flatter you with words. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does. People leverage the word of God to get their own things all the time. However, you have the same copy of God's word as I got. And as a believer, you need to be in it. You need to dive into it. Chew it up. 
Understand what it's saying. Now, do you always get it? No. Man, I've been doing this stuff for 20-something years, and I went to eight, ten years of school to figure it out, and I'm still trying to figure some of this stuff out, right? I'm just saying. But you've got to dig. If you want to thrive, and that was the last point we made this week, and this is the continuation of that point, thriving is found as we reside in what the Word says. As we make specific application to our own lives. And at times you're not going to get it. But you still go there. You still sit in it. You still take, make the time. I mean, guys, if we were to evaluate our time, and I do this all the time, how many episodes on Netflix have we binge watched compared to how much time have we spent in God's Word? That's convicting a little bit, is it not? I mean, I lose in that equation every time. How many songs can we sing just by hearing the first few words but yet how many verses can we quote by hearing the verse, first few words I lose on that equation every time don't you how many times have you had one of your kids come up to you and say mom dad what does this mean and the only thing you can do is like ah let's google it or let's call somebody you have to have a high commitment to God's word to thrive. And that's what's happening in Thessalonians, in the Thessalonians' lives. That's what's happening in Paul's life. But there's something else. There's a high commitment to God's people. Now, this is where we begin to see the application driven home. There's a high commitment to God's people. Is throughout this text, he weeps for them, he longs for them. It says in verse 17, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time out of intense longing. The thing that Paul had, this is an example we get, he had a high commitment to the body of Christ. Meaning that's where part of his spiritual gas tank was filled. And one of the reasons the Thessalonians were thriving is that they came together. One of the reasons Paul was thriving in the midst of suffering is he was a part of a church. And one of the reasons we don't thrive is because we just kind of put it on the back burner as something that we do not as people who we are it's a tough it's a tough it's a tough 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 rope to to walk and so many of us and hear me on this we miss the essence of thriving because we don't open ourselves up to the body of christ and there are a lot of reasons for that right I mean, we've, since the inception of this church, we've preached life groups, life group, getting a life group, in life group. And many of us are like, man, I don't want to sit in a group of people. I'd rather sit here, do my thing, and leave. And there's a lot of reasons why. And I, I can totally feel your reasons. Number one, it can be really awkward. Would y'all agree on that? You ever sat in a group of people and just somebody says something and you don't want to say anything back? You feel awkward about that. Or at other times, it's like, man, I've been burned in the past or had a bad experience in the past and I don't want to open myself up to that. Or can I trust someone? Or I'm frustrated with someone? Or I don't believe someone? There are a thousand different excuses we can make for ourselves, but none of them are relevant. Because here's what I want to tell you. If we go back to Acts chapter 16, do you remember what happened to Paul when he preached the gospel in Philippi? What was it? He was stripped naked he was beaten and thrown in jail he got out of jail and then what did he go do he preached the gospel and I want to give you a word here that keeps us from doing anything that would be significant in our life some of us deal with it in a big way some of us deal with it in a small way but it's a word I think we need to have an understanding of it's the idea called trauma we all carry it we all have it in our lives 
It could be small trauma. It could be a trauma that you experienced as a child to where you were embarrassed in the school one day because somebody called you out to read in class and you stuttered over the words, and so therefore you'll never read in class again, right? It could be big trauma like the death of someone or some experience that you had. But we all carry some form of trauma. I've been made fun of in this church for years, and rightfully slow because I don't like snakes. In fact, there's a picture floating around with me standing in front of my truck in a ditch because I tried to avoid a snake. Some of you have seen it. Can I tell you where that comes from? Because there's a real reason for this. I hate snakes. When I was a kid, I loved to fish. I was fishing one day in a pond near my home. I caught a, a big bass, and uh, I never cleaned a fish by myself before. My dad was gone. My uncle came over. He was like my granddad, and we started cleaning this fish. And when we opened this fish up, this gets really gross, right? When we opened this fish up, this fish had eaten a snake, and the snake fell out of the fish on the table where I was at, and I lost my mind, people. <laughs> that is not what you want to do. Agreed? That's, that's gross. Some of you are like, like, just like that, right? And then I watched this miniseries called Lonesome Dove. Have y'all ever seen that? And there's a scene where this kid falls into a, like a pit of snakes and it one bit him and it's froze on his face like that. That's trauma for me. That is some, re I don't like snakes. And there you know why, right? That's it. But I still like to fish. And do I let that experience keep me from fishing? No. You have to move beyond that. And for so many of us in the room, our history, our hangups in our brain keep us from having a high commitment to God's calling. Y'all hear me on that? High commitment to God's people, high commitment to God's word. We're so wrapped up here that we can't experience this here. So how do we move beyond that? Because the reality is, the reality is this is hurts. Because hard is hard, and hard makes you want to what? Quit. It's painful. The thing is, in the gospel truth, there is healing, but we have to make steps and take effort as well. You're radically saved all because of Jesus, and you get to grow radically all because of Jesus and all because of effort. It takes both of us. Salvation is 100% the Lord. Spiritual growth is both us, the Lord and us. And so as we move forward in that, what do we do? So let's let the Bible solve some problems for us this morning. And I want to give you three steps of application, then we're going to take communion and get out of here. Step number one. First and foremost, you have to come to Jesus. You have to know who Christ is. You have to have a legitimate conversion not a walk down the aisle experience not I was a really emotional experience not a confirmation experience I'm talking about a heart changing experience we ask Jesus to come into your life okay you can do that by checking the box on your connect card and I will call you and I will tell you how to become a Christian and somebody on our staff will help mentor you and get you in a position to where you're growing spiritually and there's also you can text in the phrase I need Jesus to 55498 again we'll call you we'll help you walk through that process it's not about behavioral change it's about heart change and whether you've been in church since you were born or whether it's your first time here listen to me it comes down to that second thing is I encourage you to take these steps nurture your relationship with the Lord. Nurture that relationship with God. 
Two ways I want to give you to do it this morning about nurturing that relationship. One, commit to a Bible reading plan. And I'll give you one this week. Go to Bible.com or the Bible app and go to 1 Thessalonians, a seven-day devotional. Okay? Really simple. If you want to take a picture of that or jot that down, there's something you don't have to pick for yourself. It's already there on the Bible app. And so take a moment and do that. But here's part B to that. Nurture your relationship with God. Some of us have got some trauma in our lives and we have not worked through it. It could be horrific trauma or it could be I opened up a snake or opened up a fish one day and a snake popped out with me, okay? Whatever it is, it's holding you back. You got to deal with it. So I want to encourage you. We're doing a conference here in a couple Sundays because uh, there is Hope Conference and it's all going to deal with trauma. And so if you're interested in participating in that, it costs five bucks for two days. And there'll be therapists here to help you walk through it from a Christian perspective. I want to challenge you to be a part of that, all right? We'll have lunch. Everything is provided for. You just got to go. And so you can just simply do this. I'm going to give you a really simple way to do that is write down Hope Conference on your Connect card or text it in. Uh, to 55498, all right, and just text New to River Hills, and we'll get you connected somehow, all right? But we want you to get you connected to that Hope Conference. The last and final step is this. Nurture the relationship between you and other believers. I want to challenge you, and I want to beg you to get inside of a life group. We have them available for you to grow, and we've got more than we've ever had, and I'm so excited about what the Lord is doing. Make that commitment. We take care of child care. We take care of space. You just got to bring yourself, okay? And the way you do that is you can text in RH Life Groups to 55498. You go out in the foyer, you can talk to somebody, you can, you got, there's a million ways to sign up. But take that step. Are y'all with me on that? This morning, in a moment, we're going to take communion and be mindful of the compassion and the commitment that Christ has towards us. And when you take communion, you evaluate your heart take some moment, time to repent. You take some time to say, Lord, I need to change some things. And so as I pray in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I say amen, I want you to continue to keep your head bowed and take a few moments and say, Lord, evaluate my heart, evaluate my soul, and what do I need to change in my life? And then take some time to thank him for what he's done in your life. And as you feel ready, the band will be playing. You stand up, you come to one of these tables in the front, you take the bread and you take the, the juice and you go sit down in your, in your seat and together as a church, we'll be mindful of this. Now I wanna say this, communion are for those who know Jesus. And so for instance, if you have a child in here with you this morning and they don't know Christ yet, don't give them communion. And here's why. It is a tool for you to be able to share the gospel with them later. And if you don't know Christ yet and you want to know Jesus, I'll be here and I'll be, love, be glad to talk to you about what it means to know Christ. But as we take communion this morning, let's focus in on the big gospel and the big God that changes us all. Y'all with me on that? Let's pray together. Father, I ask, Lord, that in these moments that you would begin to do a rescue work in our lives, that you'd overwhelm our hearts. And as you meet our needs in some very specific and powerful ways, that we will be consumed by that. And so Christ, move. Lord, we are so thankful for your wonderful sacrifice that's represented in these elements in front of me. And I pray, God, that we would be mindful that the great sacrifice you made, the suffering you went through in your body, and the blood that you shed that covers us and forgives us, Lord, as these are represented in these elements, Lord, that we would be just completely humbled by that. So do your work in us. Speak in us. 
and allow us to experience that. God, you are good.